Vincent, what's happening? Hey, good Friday afternoon from Freight Alley. Shorts weather, brother. It was like, Shorts. It was, a, uh, it was a very warm 38 degrees this morning. It was very warm. Sounds like a joke, yeah. but it really was. Sometimes it really like, was. Yeah, it was nice out. Um, warm weather also means bees, pollen count, all that going on. It up. does. A couple weeks ago, or maybe it was a month ago, I don't know, I'm losing track of time. We've been in like a time loop. But I posted yeah. a picture online um, about bees, right? I saw a bee trucking, and I was like, man, I want to learn more about bees. I'm like really curious now. Okay. Uh, fortunately, we have a couple bee experts coming on today. They're going to guide us through what goes on in that world. Um, we have Nick Souza coming on. We He was on talking about the art of ocean photography oh, yeah. about two months ago. He's coming back yeah. to show us all his trucking pictures. They're absolutely phenomenal. You'll be blown away. You'll, you'll learn where you can get some to hang on your wall. We also have First Gear. They're they're making a 50th anniversary truck for Matt's. They make these beautiful die-cast trucks, look very similar to the ones we have sitting on our desk right in front of us. But before we get there, Michael Vincent, yes, sir. I just want to bring something up, because we're going to cover the Super Bowl near the end of the show, that convoy. I know the DHS put that report out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just want to mention some of the things we know. Some of you who are concerned this may happen. I will give a little teaser to that segment before. We are not too concerned about the developments around that. I think some of the information around the People's Convoy that is starting in March got put together with a much smaller uh, protest that was going to be planned for the Super Bowl. I don't believe the two crossover. We'll get more into that later. But in the meantime, we got to tip the ban. Surge Transportation thinks non-competes are stupid. Non-competes chase away good talent, and they stop talented people from joining the supply chain industry. Tear up your non-compete. Yeah. It's not even enforceable. Instead, what you got to do is email jobs at surgetransportation.com, and then what are they going to do? You're going to open your own office tomorrow. Hell yeah, you are. So or get maybe on Monday. But in the meantime... I'm going to talk to Andrew Fisher. He's a manager beekeeper over at Royalty Honey Bees LLC. We see him sitting there right in his truck. And, man, it looks kind of nice that where you're sitting. Where are you today? Uh, beautiful, sunny uh, Tampa, Florida. We're about an hour north of Tampa. Ooh, yeah. This has got to be a hotbed for bees, right? Is that, like, is that bee central in the U.S.? I would say Florida, Texas, California, and uh, Hawaii when it comes to bean breeding. Most definitely, yes. Yeah, they sound like all southern states, right? Yeah. I mean, is that is that is it southern? I mean, did they just shut down in the winter up uh, up north? Is that why it's not not heavily up there? For sure. Uh, we're from Central PA, the state college area, Penn State. Uh, you might know it as. Basically, we have five or six months of beekeeping up there. So down here, the is in Florida. We have about thirteen months of beekeeping in a normal year. Thirteen months? Did he wow. say? Well, that I, can't I, be I, right. Well, fine. How? Did, hey, first of all, <laughs> let me ask you something, Andrew. How did you get? into the business of, of working around bees. Is this a, I know you sent me some pictures earlier and one of them was like, this is my uncle's operation. Does a beekeeping run in the family? Yeah, some fourth generation, he would be third. So um, my great grandfather started back in 1938, I believe. Wow. Okay. So uh, what do you do as part of this operation? Are you, you, you just, you, are you hauling or are you actually keeping the bees? What do you do? I'm more interested in the genetics. So I'm the bee breeder. One of my, oh. our other guys, one of my uncle's guys, another breeder with me. So we manage the genetics and the bees on the farm, basically. Um, I'm less interested in the pollination. Right now is the busy season with uh, millions of bees. I would, I don't know the exact number. I think it's like 2.1 million bees being shipped to California almonds at the moment. California almonds. Oh, so you're supplying like uh, uh, orchards and stuff like that to make sure pollination is happening and all that other kind of stuff as well, right? Yeah, that's my pollination. Almonds, apples, vine crops. I never even thought about that. No, I hadn't thought about that either. So this is a long journey going all the way from Florida over to California. How do you prep bees for a journey like this to trek them across the country? Uh, the work probably starts in October or November, so that's when we actually build the beehive to prep it for uh, California almond pollination in the following year. So it start out as a baby beehive. We would feed it, medicate it, treat it just like you would a cow or sheep uh, you're growing. And then there are certain standards and qualifications that we have to hit to get paid the contract mm. uh, pollination rate. So basically, we put the time and effort through the winter winter if you want to call it that in florida 
but um, we'd spend that time growing them to the right strength to meet the qualifications to get paid here in the next month. Grow, growing the bees to the right strength, is that what you're saying? Yeah, so basically uh, a beehive is like a, a plant. If you think about a new okay. beehive or a baby beehive as like a seed, you would you know plant that seed at, at the appropriate season and it would grow and nurture that plant. So that's how we kind of look at uh, growing a beehive all yeah, I think I think we oh, lost man. him. Okay. Yeah, I mean, okay. When we started talking about this, and we've got we've got these questions here, and we we're talking about what we we're doing. I'm talking, we're, we're and we were looking up how many bees make X amount of honey and all that kind of stuff, and that's what we were looking at completely from. And my lens angle was how much do they produce? How do you get the honey out of there and doing all that other kind of stuff? First thing I learned is, wait a minute, they produce bees and sell the actual hives to people who are growing crops in order to pollinate them. I never even thought of that angle. Yeah. I mean, it seems so obvious now. It's like, why didn't I think of that? Well, you know what? Maybe we can give production doing. a chance to uh, dial him back. And in the meantime, maybe they can get him through a phone connection. That might work yeah. better. But in the meantime, let's go to some good news, bad news. All so right. we'll talk about that soon. Bad news and good news. All right. Ooh, all right. God, bad that, news, right? So bad. yesterday you all saw this. The DHS reported that there may be a trucker blockade or protest at this weekend Super Bowl, starting to get a lot of people nervous. You're probably hearing about it all over the mainstream news, yeah. people trying to make sense of this situation. Um, here's what I know about it, having talked to some of the organizers. As you know, if you watched this show last week, we spoke to one of the organizers on here. I've asked them since, and it's my understanding that two different protests have been conflated, right? Here's this one here. Show this picture of this Super Bowl protest. Now, this Super Bowl protest is called, uh, let me take a look at this here. It says, shut down the Super Bowl medical <laughs> protest. So not exactly a trucker protest. Officials will host a Super Bowl uh, while forcing kids to wear masks. So it seems they're upset that kids are forced to be Wear masks while Super Bowls are happening. Uh, they want to fire someone named Barbara Ferrer. It says, bring signs, billboards, 2-13-22. We believe this is something completely different from the People's Convoy, which is a more trucker-based convoy that at least started as a more grassroots freedom to D.C. convoy yes. and changed their name around the time that Facebook started banning their groups. That particular group, they put an official notice out. They wrote, in yep. response to recent news articles, this notice is dated the 10th day of February 2022. The People's Convoy announces to our fellow Americans there is no intention or plans to go to the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. Such notice and rumor are put out by either another group or paid opposition. So would you agree with that? You think that they're conflating these two events? The news cycle is or the DHS is? Yeah, no, they, yeah, no they're definitely confusing the two and they're, they're bringing them together. And we talked, to the, we talked to the organizers about this, right? I mean, we talked to him and we heard exactly what he had to say. And talking about the, you know, re, get, wishing him luck and hoping that somebody doesn't hijack this for their own, their own type of stuff. And it seems like that's what somebody tried to do. Well, I was curious about that one as well when they had brought up that this whole Super Bowl thing. Yeah. It was news to me yesterday. So I started asking people within those groups what they had. And they actually showed me the flyer from the actual event. And it says, attention, truckers and all freedom-loving American citizens, our brothers and sisters of the highway, succeed in opening Canada's eyes about the un unconstitutional mandates and hardships forced upon their people. And now it's time for the citizens of the United States to unite and demand restoration of our constitutional rights. Right. They say this is going to start March 4, 2022 in Indio at Coachella Valley. Um, they're going to, it seems like they're, they're going to have some kind of, shindig here right they're going to have firefighters military personnel musicians uh journalists that they approve of uh, religious leaders and people from all walks of life and then the plan from there would be to drive to california now in that report yesterday it made it sound like these truckers were all going to convene at the super bowl michael vincent and then they were going to drive and time it out so that they arrived uh by march 1st for Biden's State of the Union. That's not the case. That is absolutely not the case. That is not the people's convoy. And, and we talked to the guy. This yeah. is They're going to meet in India, and then Indio, right? Coachella yeah. Valley, Indio, California, and then, and then cruise to, to D.C. And, ho and do it peacefully is what they want to do. Many have asked where their message is. Uh, we asked them that as well last week when they were still called Freedom Convoy to D.C. Here's mm -hmm. a clip from one of their organizers, Brian Brace, about what this convoy purports itself to be all about. Take a listen. What is the clear and concise message that Convoy to D.C. is about? It's, it's, a, it's really a simple thing. 
It's to end mandates. It's it's to protect your constitutional freedoms as an American. Mm-hmm. It's to protect your um, human rights as uh, you know your rights as literally a human being on the global scale. This is affecting the entire world. And enough is enough. It's time to get back to work. It's time to end these mandates. And when it comes into trucking, you know how it comes to trucking. It's just simply that we we don't like to leave our homes not knowing if our families back home are safe. You know, if they get sick, that they can go to the hospital and that there's enough health care staff to take care of them and to help them. You know, they're firing health care workers, letting them go because they don't get the vaccination. Mm-hmm. They're, they're firing school teachers because they don't get the vaccination. What about my children? Getting them ready for college, getting them ready for trade school, getting them ready to be out in the workforce, getting them ready to be, you know, uh, positive influences in our society. What about our law enforcement, those that help protect truck drivers every day out here on the road? What about those guys that are all being let go? These are all quality individuals, upstanding people of their community. They're heroes during the COVID pandemic. Truck drivers are our hero during the pandemic. We need to work together, come together. And this is simply, it's not a right issue. It's not a left issue. It's not an anti-vax issue. This is just simply about your basic human rights, as some would call your God-given rights, and as an American, as your constitutional rights. That's it. And the mandates. That's all we're asking. This group says it's about if it gets hijacked by other groups, other political entities, um, who knows. But so far, we haven't heard about like calls to violence or anything no, like that. No, none of that stuff. That's about what we know about that right now. We'll get to more of this a little bit later, but as I understand it, we have Andrew on the phone. So let's talk a little right. bit more about bees. Andrew, let's see if your signal's a little bit better this time. How are you doing now? Hey, good. I apologize. My phone was overheating with the Florida sun and being in a phone case. So I'm back. Can you hear me loud and clear? No, you sound excellent. Now yeah, so let, let's great. start, let's start back at, at one point that I didn't hear uh, fully clearly before you cut out. And it was uh, about the transportation aspect. So how do you, uh, how do you treat these as freight? How are like, how do they go on the flatbed? How are they packed up? And what are they like after the journey? Um, basically the preparation to loading them on the semi would happen at our, at my uncle's scale where he runs about 10,000 colonies worth we start several weeks before and we start prepping the boxes by cleaning all the spider webs, all the ants. Um, California is very strict about zero tolerance of those kind of pests coming in on our bee boxes or pallets. So we have to go through every single beehive, every single box, every single pallet. And uh, we call them washing it, even though it's by hand and by a brush. Um, And then we band them. So basically three beehives on each side of the pallet. So there's six total. And we put, I assume it's like half inch metal band and we band them up. And uh, when it comes to loading, the bees fly during the day. So the semis are at our farm prior to sundown. So we can start an hour before sunset or into the evening. So all the bees would be back in their home, back in the colony of the beehive. And then we just load them two by two, two pallets at a time. And we put about 72 to 74 pallets of bees on a truck. that takes about an hour and a half to load. And then we have special bee nuts that we uh, have the Amish in Pennsylvania build for us or make for us. So then we put those nets over top of the bees and they uh, cover the front, the middle and the, the back to the middle. So just in case if anything weird were to fall off, break during the trip, the net generally would hold it in. And then we strap them down uh, with, with four inch straps. So the truckers are supposed to drive throughout the day and they're not allowed to stop at any point. So they have to be fueled and ready to go before. And then they leave in the morning about an hour after the sun comes up and it's a four day journey. So uh, generally they drive five or 10 miles an hour under the speed limit to to get out to the Bakersfield, California area uh, within about four to five days totaling in the trip. Wow. And, and so how do the bees react to such a trip? How, what are they like when they get there? Are they like, you know, they got to go to the bathroom. They're, they're you know, they're, ornery, little, they're a little yeah. ornery and pissed off or what, what's going on with the bees when they get there? You said it. I didn't want to say it on the air, but most definitely they're unhappy. Basically, just think about you being cooped up in your house for five days straight. Um, after the past two years, we can kind of have a feeling of that. Yeah. So they just got to go to the bathroom. They're, they're being shaken. They're on the back of a truck for thousands of miles. And, um, I believe it's like 3,500 miles, maybe from Tampa to Bakersfield. I don't know that exact number, but, um, you know, there's constantly being shaken and vibrated. And then again, they can't use the bathroom. So their guts have all that buildup of sugar and pollen from the honey and, and they're just not happy campers. And it'll take them about three, four, five days to settle back down. And then you wouldn't really know that they were on a truck for a week after that point. 
They're just like, wow, remember that weird time we were stuck in that tra- <laughs> so, so I got to ask them, so they're driving, though. They got to drive for four days. Do they ever get pulled over or, or inspected? And what are the, ins- like, I'm just picturing, in my head, I'm picturing, like, this sitcom of, a, of like, a police officer walking over and realizing it's a bee truck. And just it's like, like Tommy no. Boy when they yeah, run yeah. out. Bees! Move, move along, never mind. Um, what happens at inspections? That is probably a pretty accurate scene. Um, most movies might not depict real life accurately, but that is pretty accurate when it comes to the DOT inspections or if a, a, a police officer were to pull us over. They normally hear the buzzing and they're like, oh, the, there's bees on this truck, aren't there? And normally they say, go ahead and carry on. Um, <laughs> so I can't say that was a rule of thumb, but normally DOT and the, the officers in uniform don't want to deal with a truck with a bunch of angry insects. <laughs> that is absolutely so you said you deal more with the genetic yeah. side of it i'm interested in that what does what is what does that entail you're 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 working on breeding them to maximize strength honey production etc or, or what i look for a little bit of everything um i guess bee breeding is such a small niche market that even for us it's hard to get accurate information other than hands-on so with where I'm at for my uncle's operation, I have about 50 to 60 breeders that I'm managing out of his 10,000 hives. Um, we look for characteristics of like spring buildup, how good the queen is at laying brood, which is the unhatched larvae, um, how well they winter. I mean, it's hard for us to judge that in Florida because we don't get the temperatures of Pennsylvania or the Northeast or mm. anywhere else that gets real frigid. Uh, also for like gentleness or friendliness, um, my favorite test for that is a steel toe boot to the front of the beehive. Um, <laughs> I picked out a beehive by kicking them and they don't come out at you. And that to me is something I'd prefer versus <laughs> if it's not a happy beehive, they would come out and light your day up. Well, you know, they're fascinating creatures. So I understand that, that out in the wild, right? If I'm not mistaken here, bees have one queen, right? And you go, well, if they only have one queen, how do you make more queens? Well, they do this fascinating thing. Like they take a larvae and they feed it the royal jelly. Can you take, like, is that how you build other colonies? Do you take uh, like the royal jelly with a, a larvae and you can kind of hack it and make your own? Yes, we don't produce the royal jelly. We let the uh, beehive do that itself. So Today is actually my Monday, even though it's a Friday. It's our big day. Uh, David, the other guy that works for us, we're grafting, which is the process of taking a larvae that's about 24 to 48 hours old, and we're going through this whole frame with 1,500 larvae on it. We're looking for the exact right size, um, about four to five days outside of the queen. So they're an egg for three days, then they hatch into a larvae. So that first day or two outside of hatching the egg is um, the prime larvae we're looking for. So then we take those larvae and put them in a beehive that doesn't have a queen. So their natural instinct is to say, hey, we don't have a mom and we're going to raise them. So we give them 30 or 45 uh, larvae that will eventually turn into queens. So today's work order, we're making about 700 queen cells, which will yield us about 500 queens in about 25 days. So uh, what you guys are doing there, Andrew, are you guys, are you guys uh, specifically breeding these to then sell to other farms, or do you guys produce your own honey as well? Um, honey's a side note, so we can get to that. But we're producing a lot of the genetics internally, but with uh-huh. uh, my uncle and his network, he has other people that are managing apiaries of his size, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 colonies of bees. So a couple of my customers are about the same size as my uncle, and they're good friends of his. So we don't have a huge book when it comes to customers, but we have, I mean, probably three of our biggest clients manage almost a hundred thousand colonies. Oh, so Andrew, are you getting stung all the time or have you like really learned how to communicate and behave and just be around bees? Both. Um, right now with spring is like tiptoeing in and out in Florida. And I could tell today that there's no nectar flowing because I really got tore up. They stung the crap out of our hands. They're real pissy. They're real mean. And that could be something else that causes their aggression to increase. There's no natural sources of food. Oh, so when they're hungry and there's no natural sources, they're a little bit bit ornery. (laughs) Yeah, they're a little testy. And we even feed them syrup, high fructose corn syrup. But I wish they would understand that we're here to help them, not to take... Yeah, well, I mean, at least they're not taking you to, you know, to court, like I saw in that one movie where they were suing us and stuff like that. <laughs> was that the B movie? <laughs> yeah, I think it was. <laughs> something like that. So. Well, Andrew, what's no, something, no, what's something no. um, fascinating about this that, that we haven't asked you about? I mean, your world is, is so, you know, different than ours, dealing with bees and dealing with this type of freight. What's something like, what's something really cool that you wish more people knew about what you did? 
Oh, goodness. Everybody loves beekeeping. And, and, you know, over the past 20 years with some of the bees dying or mysteriously dying or however you want to put that, uh, I just wish people realized how much work goes into beekeeping. Like the front picture of it, like wearing a bee suit and, you know, raising queens is your job. It's kind of like cute and exciting. But when you get into it, it's dirty, nitty gritty. It's, it's typical farm work. And there's a lot more mentally involved when you're manipulating the beehive to make them make queens instead of where you might have said they want to make honey. So um, we're just making Mother Nature work for us. And it's not it's not all about the birds and the bees when we talk about beekeeping, I guess. There's a little more to it. You ever yeah. get into an accident and, and lose a bunch of bees, like have a, a rollover or something? And if, if that happens, you just like let them off in the wild or do you have to go and hunt them down? I believe back in the 90s, I'm a 90 baby, so I believe when I was like five or six in the mid-90s, we had a truck roll over, um, and that was in my home county. So I just believe we had friends and family who were former employees or close enough that knew how to work the bees. They would just go help pick it up and, and try to salvage the broken equipment and try to keep the good equipment and you know, get get the bees off the road and out of the area to not have any pedestrians hurt. But generally, it, let's use it. California almonds is an issue. If we had a truck roll over in Texas, my uncle really leans on his network. He's like, hey, I have friends over here that I would say, hey, this happened. Can you help me? And they would get some beekeepers together. So even though we're a competitive market, a competitive industry, the beekeepers would stop and and help you out, especially in a scenario like that. Wow. wow. Yeah. Nice, nice tight knit group, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, hey, Andrew, thank you so yep. much for giving us this education on what goes on in bees and transporting bees and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Very if people cool. have more questions for you or they have some bee needs. Where do I send them to? Sure. Email would definitely work or phone number. So the emails first, it'll be my last name, Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, Andrew, my first name, middle initial C is in Charlie at gmail.com. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. Or Appreciate that. Oh, go one more time. Or feel free to shoot me a text, which would be better. Area code 814-599-8852. I could definitely do phone calls, but I'd rather do a text message first and set it up because this is our business season. Thank thank you so much, man. Thanks for your time today. Take care. You know, that segment was good because before we started this, you thought that, like, the trucker just held the queen outside the window and then, like, the whole whole colony would just follow. Well, he didn't even need a trucker. Guy just, just, you know. Held it out the window of his car. Dude, I'll just follow you there. That's what the queen does. And it just, this whole swarm would follow. (laughs) Let's look at some really nice truck picks. How about that? Oh, yeah. All right, let's bring Nick Souza up. He's president at Nick Souza Photography. We had him on a couple of months ago talking about the art of ocean photography. He showed us some great port pictures. Today he's going to show us his awesome collection of truck pictures and how he's ruined tourist vacations getting them. Nick, thanks for coming back on the show. You're back. We love seeing it. Now, I've already seen all the pictures because you sent me the Dropbox file and they are amazing but before we jump into it and talk through some of these and the stories behind them for people who didn't catch you last time on the show just give a little intro to yourself what does nick souza do so i have kind of a unique specialty i'm a professional photographer but i specialize in the ocean shipping and logistics industries so obviously um for those of you don't know when uh the boxes come off a ship they're either transported by trucks to uh, warehouses or they're put on a train. So because of that, over my very long career, I've shot a lot of truck pictures, but kind of different maybe than what people are used to seeing a truck picture look like. Mm. Yeah. So Nick, I'm, I'm interested in this. Is how, how did you get to this point in, in transportation to doing the ocean stuff? Did you start, was that always the interest that you had? And so you decided to be a photographer for that, or did you fall into photography and then start to pick up this particular angle? No, I was a photojournalist. I, I worked for newspapers for about 11 years, and um, I knew I kind of wanted to transition into photographing for corporate communications and industry. And I had a neighbor that worked in the shipping industry, and I, I went to work with him one night at the port and shot some photos and thought, wow, this is just a fascinating industry. And I knew kind of right then and there that I wanted to focus on it. So I started sort of reaching out to different potential clients. And 25 years later, here I am. 
Yeah, I mean, equipment in this business, I mean, when you see it up close, it is absolutely stunning. I mean, trucks themselves, but these boats as well, they're awe-inspiring. Let's take a look at some truck picks. Let's take a look at the uh, the first one here. Um, that almost looks like the Zakem Bridge, but I don't think it is because Zakem Bridge has uh, these little these little Bunker Hill-type pyramid things on top. What bridge are we looking at here? This is actually um, a kind of an important bridge. It's it's the a new bridge that was built and just completed last year that uh, – connects basically Long Beach and LA harbors. And um, it's it's a certain height because the old bridge that was there couldn't, uh, the newer ships that need to come through, it was too low for them to get through. So they spent a lot of time and money building this new amazing bridge. And um, this is just a shot. I was working at a terminal a couple of weeks ago and kind of saw the light and it trucks are always passing over this bridge. So it's kind of easy. What's not easy is to get one just isolated like that. That's what I kind of liked about this shot. Yeah. Was that the thinking behind it? You're like, I really, I, I just want one truck. I don't want like a whole, I don't yeah. want traffic. I don't want gridlock. I just want one beautiful truck. Exactly. I was kind of going for the minimalist approach there with that shot. And then very important, very, cool. very important trade bridge these days. Let's take a look at another one here. Here we go. Oh, we're back at the ports. Where is, are those ports? What are we looking at here? Cans? Yeah, this is actually kind of a unique situation also. This is not really a terminal. It's this specialized um, facility that was set up for overflow because, as you guys know, the congestion is just you know a pretty yeah. serious topic right now. And th this, is a, this is land that the Port of Long Beach owns, and it's just um, – there's a mix of empty – it's primarily empty containers, but there are some loaded containers also, but it's – it's an overflow yard. So yeah, this is just, I was just looking for patterns. I was doing um, another assignment from the air and I, I knew that this always offers some potential. So yeah, just looking for patterns and lines and once again, waiting for like just that one truck to get in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're always good at making yeah. the, the colors pop and, and really highlight it too. Now this is an interesting one too. This is another bridge one you took here that we're gonna, that we're going to look at. Where was this? This is actually in, uh, in Greece. It's uh, it's just si outside of Athens, and th this picture is super old. It's like over twenty years old, and Ooh. now you can find it's called the Corinth Canal. You can actually find this all over Instagram and all over the internet because it's really narrow, but there but ships pass through it, and it just looks crazy to see a ship in the middle of that canal. So yeah, we were um, working at the it's the port. I think it's called Piraeus, in uh, it's just outside of Athens, and yeah, taking a Merce truck and just putting it at different spots to uh get some scenic scenic photos of it uh on the road and this is a pretty scenic spot yeah, yeah. well that brings up a good point are most of these sort of natural so you have to wait to catch the Merc truck in the wild or in some I, I imagine the ones that are paid for by companies they want their truck in there so you yeah, sort of that, stage that the drive-through right exactly yeah we're on a radio or cell phone back then or whatever. I don't even remember, but yeah, we're, we're staging all that. But the ones you show previously, that's just me just like looking, seeing what I can find. But yeah, this was staged. We're telling him exactly like when to start moving and waiting for people to not walk across the bridge and traffic <laughs> and probably did it a few times. Yeah. Which do you enjoy more, Nick? The ones that, that you go out and you, you look for, look for those pictures and, and wait for that perfect shot or the ones that are staged? Um, you know, I, I think, Getting a great shot that's not staged, I, I definitely um, develop a lot of satisfaction from that just sure. because of the, the challenge. But I mean, there's a whole set of challenges when you stage things also. It's not, it's not like it's any, any easier sometimes. But I, I think if uh, in general, the, the satisfaction that I get from just like finding what I was looking for and making it happen, that, that really is probably what i prefer yeah. I, I imagine i would be looking at a lot of them going well that really looks staged if well, i was staging them right well, this, i mean <laughs> look this is a job that takes you all over the world we have another one here where you got another merce truck right in front of the eiffel tower yeah this was uh there there was a period of time when um i was doing this a lot and what's great about this is one of the reasons why you asked earlier like you know, how i got into this and one of the reasons was i, I love to travel and working for global companies like this was actually just a vacation I was on in Europe. And I, so I would just notify my clients, Hey, I'm going to be here, 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 and here, you know, what can, what can we set up? And so for a number of years, we, we took advantage of, of that situation. And I did a lot of different shots for the shipping lines in, in different countries, just because I was going to be there. There's plenty of times where they sent me places too. 
but like this, for example, they actually sent me to Egypt. And like you mentioned earlier, ruining tourist shots. Yeah, th- this was this was one of those where I'm sure I made a lot of people mad because we, we pulled up to the, the pyramids of Giza and, and the Sphinx. And I have never seen as many tour buses that were out there. Just literally hundreds of tour buses, thousands of people, and they're dropping them off at different spots. So, you know, they have their one shot to get the Sphinx aligned with the pyramids. And here's me directing a MERS refrigerated container truck right through their shot. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot, a lot of people went home with a shot they did not expect to get. Was it harder to stage the truck or the camel in the background? Which was harder to stage? <laughs> the, cam- the camel was lucky. <laughs> Fortunately, they're everywhere out, out there. So yeah, that, that that was that was a bit of luck. But yeah, that how we pulled all that off was insane. I mean, that there was, I think I, it was a long time ago, but I know that the country manager in the office for Maersk had a lot of good connections because I, I had been back to Egypt since then and tried to do a similar thing for another shipping line. And there's no, we just couldn't make it happen. Yeah. So it, it was, I, I can't even believe we did that. I mean, it's, it's a pretty funny picture, but there, there was, there was a period of time when like the, those pictures showing that, okay, we have a global presence and it, I was, I was doing a ton of that. Well, it's interesting too, because you just had two landmarks on here as well the eiffel tower and you have the pyramids over here and you get the sphinx um so you're kind of and, and these are for companies too these are for Maersk. it's not like your own private pictures so you can't just completely go gorilla and and stage these things you have you have to deal with these governments can that be yeah. challenging oh to get permits? yeah <laughs> yeah for sure that that's why i would say that particular Maersk shot the people the, the the local contacts were just amazing. They they had the right connections to to make that happen. That was not easy because we and then we did that. We actually there's roads that are around the pyramids. We took it out, and I have shots of it with the pyramids in the background and all kinds of different things. And yeah, they that's you need a lot of cooperation. That that's a big that's a big part of my job is without the cooperation and the assistance of the the local contacts and you know, any people that they know, I can't get my job done. So I, I rely on that like crazy. Yeah. That's the annoying thing about the arts, right? Like we, we just want to sit here and talk or take pictures or anything. And there's all this regulatory and other stuff that goes on behind the scenes that nobody gets to see. That's the actual hard work. And people just think let's we're snapping cameras to our, and talking to them. Let's add that to our list of demands on Occupy South of the Border. South of the Border. Well, we got yeah. another We got another picture here. I wish Nick would take some South of the Border pics, uh, some of those billboards. But what do we got going on here? <laughs> Um, this, this was a cool project I worked on last summer, um, where, um, shipping line CMA CGM delivered a replica statue of Liberty to New York and put it on Ellis Island or, um, not on Ellis Island. Yeah, they did actually. It was put on Ellis Island for, um, a display. And then ultimately they took it to the French ambassador's residence in DC where it's in the garden now. So what's cool about this is this, this bridge is not open to the public or anybody. They only use it to deliver supplies. If you want to get to Ellis Island out there, you have to take a ferry. So it was super cool that we arranged, you know, the perfect timing to have this truck drive by, get the Statue of Liberty in the back. And then then when they were done with the delivery and packed it up and taken it to DC, we had it going the other direction facing the skyline of Manhattan. So that was a super cool opportunity, required a ton of prep, and timing and, you know, cooperation, everything. We're on the radio with the driver saying, wait, 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 don't, don't go yet because we're shooting video. I'm, I'm in one spot, the videographer's in another. So yeah. And, and plus they're in a hurry. I mean, they had a window when they had to get this thing unpacked and uncrated and and start to be assembled for this special event. So yeah, it, it was, it was super cool that we had so much cooperation for that and the weather cooperated too and gave me that nice sky. Yeah, no, the sky is the sky is beautiful. So I, I'm interested. What what uh, part of your business, or the percentages, I guess, of your business that, that you're doing here is commercial for these for these companies? And what part is 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 purely sold to, let's say, people who just in, enjoy your artwork, your your photography? It's it's basically a hundred percent for commercial clients. Okay. And then and then what happens is sometimes I, I have people that you know off and on see my work from Instagram or LinkedIn or something and, and contact me to buy prints. But, and primarily I, I, I sell a lot of prints to clients. My, my, a lot of those MERS pictures are in their offices all over the world too. Sure. 
so that that that's a that's a big part of like I have clients that want to purchase some of the some of the work for the assignments. Gotcha. Because some of those pictures are just great artwork. Well, here's the thing, too. If you want like this sort of transportation aesthetic in in your house, there's not like a ton of designers out there that are really catering to it. There's not Uh a ton of prints. You're not going to walk into like your mall print shop and just find a ton of awesome truck pics or ship pics to pick from. So Instagram seems like an awesome conduit for that, especially people who want to get these. That's uh, the one there. I love. Yeah, that's a great one. We actually picked that that one for the cover of the show today. What's the story behind? uh, What's the story behind this up on the crane? So. So all these, yeah, the la- the last couple. It's funny because, like I told you on, on LinkedIn, you, you had that comment about Port of Vancouver. Uh-huh. The, those the, this shot and the one before it are actually at uh, Port of Vancouver. They uh, these trucks. Oh. I forget where they where they were manufactured, but they're they're actually being shipped out to Australia. Okay, so, so these are exports through the Port of Vancouver, USA, on the Columbia. Yeah, River. exactly. Yeah, yeah. One of my uh, one of my um, former clients is a. Uh, a shipping uh, stevedore operator for the, they they were for that terminal and I was there just documenting that terminal for them and I was like oh my god this is amazing <laughs> we have it's not the usual stuff I mean they had some containers but when I, those trucks were like that was just like perfect timing I don't we didn't know they were going to be there I just showed up on a certain day and those trucks were there and it was some of the you know funnest shots I was able to make just because of what was happening I've never seen anything like this you know since either having trucks being loaded like that. Well, you know, we asked, just, we asked Alex oh, Strogan over there. We were like, hey, what do you like about working yeah. at this port? And he's like, because it's a brake bulk port and it's a row row port, you actually get to see yep. the cargo. He's like, containers are great, but when you can see like giant mountains of copper or you can see all the different types of vehicles rolling off, like you really can feel the freight. It becomes much more tangible to trade and to what's going on. And just just visually, it's more dynamic than just yeah. like endless seas of, yeah. of containers. I'm sure everyone in LA and Long Beach and, and most of the other ports are getting a little sick of seeing. I wonder why they load it on a crane with the with the hood up, with the bonnet up like that. I don't know, you know either. I know. There, like I said, there were so many interesting things about this scenario that I just love these pictures. I, I, I don't know. I can't remember. And it was a while ago, but yeah, there was, so there's, another there's another one. There's another one. The hood is always up on yeah. these when they're on a crane. That's strange. Beautiful yeah, stuff. Thing. Well, Hey Nick, thank you again for showing us your collection here. I'm sure there's people watching who would at least be interested in following you on Instagram and maybe even getting some of these prints for their walls. Where should we send them to? Um, so Instagram, I'm N Souza photo. My last name and first initial, and my uh, my website is the same thing, nsusaphoto.com. Yeah, people launching a nice truck or something out there too. You might want to give Nick a I'm call. I'm telling you, if you're you in trucking or nice. transportation, those are beautiful, man. I'd be hiring him. Absolutely, Nick. I'll I'll be knocking appreciate on your door one of these days. <laughs> Take it easy, Nick. We appreciate it. We can he can get a picture of you in your new cyber truck. Maybe. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that later, getting that on the water. Well, we just talked about big trucks and the beauty of big trucks, but what about we little small die cast Those are trucks? cool, too, man. These are pretty cool, I got one too. right here. A little easier to drive. They are oh, much, it takes a couple fingers. Much more fun, dude. <laughs> All right. We got to get... Hold on. Wait, hold on. We got to tip the band first. We got oh, we to okay. shout out to Sorry. Loves first. Hold on. My bad. With My bad. fully furnished, state-of-the-art repair trucks and a full array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response from your fleet from Loves Truck Care and Speed Co. To learn more about their roadside assistance, tell them, dude. Hey, go to loves.com. All right, now it's Adam Knight, Erica Reese. They are with First Gear, and he's not dressed like Wolverine this time, but he still has a big old smile on his face. It's good seeing you guys again. I love having you on the show. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, yeah, thank you. Thanks, on here. You know, I was just thinking, you know, how would this little truck look in one of those cranes? Very <laughs> cool. You need a die cast crane. You betcha. Exactly. These are, well, you know, hey, look. Past couple of years have been very tough on trade shows, tons of cancellations. But as I understand it, Matt's coming back this year. It's going to be one of the first opportunities for uh, those within the trucking industry to get together at a big event. And I know that you're fully involved with it. You've done a few trucks from the years past. But Adam or Erica, tell us a little bit about this relationship that you have with Matt's. Yeah, we bet. Well, this well, year it's actually going to be a huge, huge year because we took last year off. So they're coming in with yep. a, big, a big bang, celebrating 50 years together as an industry. They have it down in Louisville, Kentucky at the Expo Center, and it is huge. I mean, we're talking over a million exhibits, over a thousand exhibitors. Usually they have over 72,000 people coming to check out everything. Trucks, you've got truck contests going on, you've got concerts going on, 
plus some of the best seminars there to get yourself educated on everything new. Yeah, so uh, we got some pictures of trucks from the past, don't we? Yeah, sure. Let's roll through, through these. Adam, can you talk about these a little bit? Yeah, uh, we've been making trucks for mats for all oh, the past uh, – well, DCP has been for the past 13 years, and every year um, we pick out a new truck and trailer combination, and each year we try to highlight the year, um, different themes, colors, and graphics that Mid-America uh, Truck Show wants to present and offer as the new limited uh, collectible for the show. Well, you, you, have to, you mentioned 50 from years, so show. 50 years, there's a, a little pressure on here, right, to outdo yourselves, to yeah. put out the best Matt's truck left, and uh, we have a few pictures of some of the designs that you've been go going through. Talk to us a little bit about the thought process that goes into making this 50th anniversary truck. Yeah, it all comes down to uh, the truck, picking out the truck, and what was cool about the 50th anniversary is Mid-America Trucking Show allowed... Uh, people on their Facebook to choose which truck they wanted to see this year. And as you can see from the image, uh, everybody could choose between the Peterbilt, the Kenworth, W900A or the K100, and then the Superliner. And I believe at the time, the Superliner was our brand new tooling and the Kenworth W900. Those were both pretty new toolings. Wow. Okay. So which one did they pick? Which well, hold one? on. So we're not oh. all, hold on. Now okay. everyone's like a die-cast truck nerd. So what is a tooling? How about, Erica, can you define a tooling for us? Sure. So when we make these replicas, you know, we've got to go and make separate tools for all these little pieces. That way we can cast the die-cast parts. Um, so what we do is we go and develop it over months. And you have things for the tires, the stacks, fenders, um, sleepers, all those different parts get built into this tool. You shoot the die cast. And then once you go and put all those die cast parts together, we can go and put the decoration on. So you can pick the graphics. Um, you can pick any of the paint colors. It's a lot like how the big trucks are kind of assembled on the assembly line. We're just taking it down to a smaller scale. Wow. So you've got all the engineers and the tooling people right there to make all this stuff? We sure do. Everybody's here in Piasta, Iowa, and then we also have boots on the ground overseas to go and watch and oversee the production process to make sure everything comes out just like our customer wants it. Wow. Well, see, next time you got to take us some video of the, the tooling process. I'd be really interested in, in seeing how that all works. But, okay, so this, yeah. you, you, this could be dangerous. You went to Facebook and asked the people there to crowdsource <laughs> this for you. I've seen the results of, of some polls, okay. especially when they get taken over by some communities yeah. and what the results been. It, it didn't end up looking like a Homer Simpson truck, though. What is the design shaping up to be for this year's truck? Yeah, it, it was kind of like March Madness where we had our bracket set up where you got to pick your tractor. And then from there, we went and narrowed the scope down on what trailer people wanted. And once people picked that Max Superliner, they got to pick, hey, do I want these fenders? Do I want these stacks? Do I want these graphics? And overall, we were really, really impressed with the result. People chose that Max Superliner, which ironically enough, this was released to the market in the 70s, same year that that Mid-American Truck Show was started. So it's very, very timely. Um, you can see in the image that we've got a lot of deco on it, a lot of detail. The hood opens up to show the engine. Um, you can even go and take a look at that trailer a little bit more closely where we've got all the really nice graphics oh, wow. on it. Yeah. Free rolling wheels, so you know if you're at your your desk and feel like taking it for a spin, you certainly can. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be distracted. I'd be driving all over my desk. With that. Yeah. <laughs> are these are these mats exclusive, or can you get these off off your website, or do you, you got to go to the the conference? How does that work? Right. It is very very limited. There's only 500 of these being produced worldwide. The only place you can get them is at the mat show at our booth. So make sure when you get to the show. Stop at our booth first. That way you can add this really nice replica to your collection. Oh, and a certificate of authenticity yeah, comes with it, too. Yeah, certificate of authenticity Sweet. there. So you'll, you'll know it's the, uh, the real deal. So, well, let me ask you. You're, you're creative over here, Adam. So does it excite you when you bring in the audience and you throw the microphone out at the crowd to let them sing the chorus? Or do you feel a little left out in the process? Oh, it's always fun to have everybody else's input. Um, that way I feel like people really get they get a chance to voice their opinion and get essentially what they want, what they would like to see, or at least the majority does. 
I know a lot of people would have loved to have seen the Kenworth W900A as the winning model, but um, the Superliner looks fantastic. And it, as like Erica said, it's a great throwback to the time period of when the original Matt show started. Yeah, Adam, they can go to the go to your website, right, and do some custom work themselves. Can I do an individual custom uh, 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 truck and trailer? You can for your for your business. We uh, highly encourage any business that's out there that would like a custom truck made. Um, we can pick out the truck that fits your business the best and run through your graphics, your colors, whatever trailer you want to pair with it. And a lot of our trucks have uh, different accessory options. So we can we can get it down to a lot of the similar details that your fleet would run. Very cool. Beautiful stuff. And if they want that, where do we send them to? I'm actually you can check us out that. Go ahead and hit me up on oh, LinkedIn yeah. or right you can give me a call. All right. Find Erica Reese uh, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and there you go. She'll take care of you. Hey, have a great weekend. Good luck at Matt's. Thanks for showing off the limited edition truck. It looks great. You're all doing great work. Thanks. Thank you. And you know what? Maybe if you take a little drive north, you'll see us at the show. Ooh, right maybe. on. Maybe. We'll yeah. find out about that. Take care. We'll, we'll catch you next time. Good stuff. Yeah, really. Yeah, I'm I love serious about that too. I'd love to see like the um, the the inside. Oh, the process. Yeah, yeah, the tour rooms and stuff like that where they're doing that. Yeah, very one, cool. One note I wanted to make in uh, good news, bad here is just oh, to okay. round out that whole uh, Super Bowl and those convoy things oh, yeah, that are yeah. going on. Please do. Uh, let's talk about north of the border just for a second here. Okay. I know you're all asking. Uh, are we seeing any impacts? So you've seen the bridges and the blockades, and you know. I'll say something here, too. Michael Vincent, well, I think the Ottawa thing is um, people's right to protest is great. I'm not really a fan of these blockades. I wish that they would break these up. I don't. I think that they're impacting other industries, other hardworking industries. We're, we're seeing some of the impacts with auto. We're hearing the report yeah, of them shutting agreed. down factories and that agreed. stuff. So I, maybe enough there at the border, guys. That would be, that would be my call. Um, in terms of data on that, though, for kites, right, they're saying on-time delivery percentage for Canada to U.S. travel declined by 13% week over week during the week of January 29th, potentially due to continuing impacts of protests and blockades. There was also weather that week the, yeah. as well. Um, and like we mentioned, the, the thing we have most clarity on is that the auto industry, especially those based on that border, those border locations are being impacted the most. Sonar, particularly it, the Windsor Canadian Bridge right there. It, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Ambassador Bridge. Uh, yeah. uh, our sonar data, we, we, we are not really seeing anything meaningful in there yet either. But of course, we will keep you abreast on all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing you can specifically point say that's because of that. Yeah. But coincidental with weather and something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, very good. Um, I've got some bad news for you, my sure. friend, going along with the theme here. The International Union for Conservation of Nature, the yeah. uh, IUCN, as you like to call them, right? At least 14 million tons of plastics, right, end up in the ocean every single year. And it's getting worse. I would 80% imagine. of the marine debris is plastics. It, it hurts climate change. It's killing reefs. It's killing animals, the food safety, et cetera. Um, and you hear the reports, you know, by 2050, there'll be more plastic than fish by weight. I can in, imagine. In, and in well, the then you throw two years of disposable masks that are ending up in, in ocean ending. waste, too. And it's, there's a lot happening right now. It is. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the recycling in many countries, like the U.S., has relied on other countries taking our plastics, right? And so we're yeah. kind of really far behind. Here's the good news, my friend. I've got good news. There's a sure. lot of successful efforts to turn these tides, right? Like companies like Ocean Plastic Technologies in South Africa, which is a source for my, my, my ocean picks, ocean7music.com. These guys, 2 million pounds so far they've taken out of, out of the ocean there in, in Durban Harbor. We've got some pictures of some of that plastic that comes out. Now, these are the plastics that you, you, you're told you can't re recycle. Okay. These are coming out of the ocean. You're pulling up. They're cleaning them. You're talking about mixed colors here that then go to produce guitar picks. Wow. A circular economy of plastics that you think you're not allowed, you can't recycle. But Those you absolutely right? can do it. Those are the guitar picks right there. Those guitar picks right there are, are raw coming out. They're about to be hand uh, buffed and, 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 and scraped there to make them nice and sharp and come on over and melt faces and save oceans. Like how many water bottles or, or whatever are like in a, I don't know, guitar or in 12 guitar picks or a package of guitar picks? Yeah, so it, there's no it's different types of plastic. So the yeah. guitar picks are not specifically water bottles. That's the ones sure. that you mostly I'm just trying recycle. to like use something but as a yeah, tangible yeah. Okay, example. Okay, so yeah. here, here's, here's something. Uh, the exact amount that's in there, those particular picks, I, I don't know. But if you were to take, if, the, if every guitarist right now were to buy one set of those picks, 32 million pounds of plastic would come out of the ocean. Wow, what are you guitarists doing out there? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why they would buy anything else. 
How's how's business been? How's shipping been out of South Africa? Everything working good there? It's it's really it's really not that bad. Air freight um, is 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 expensive, but once you get over the minimum, it's it's not too bad. So um, yeah, about a week to get here, air freight, uh, and it's not all that costly, really. That's not a that big of a costly of a lane, South Africa to the U.S. So, yeah, yeah. And any next expansion? Good. So I got to say too, I saw. So I've been reading about these ocean plastic things, yeah. and. Um, I think because I've I've been looking at your company, I've been starting to get fed more news about this. And sure. One of them was I saw a, a luthier made an actual guitar yes. out of ocean plastic. Oh yeah, yeah. There's 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 people working on that type of stuff to make that make that happen, and it's quite cool. Um, uh, some of them are actually pretty good. I, there's a guy locally who who actually uh, 3D printed one with the ocean plastics. No way. He did it locally wow. with a 3D printer. New lineup coming up to uh, uh, start one Well, um, I don't know about uh, bodies. I'm not into designing uh, actual guitars. That's a very difficult thing to do. But uh, definitely capos, uh, pick guards, anything that has to do with a guitar. Hangers, wall hangers, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite podcasts is Stuff You Should Know. And I was listening to a, yeah. a bunch of them on my, on my way back and forth on my last long road trip. And one of them was on Les Paul and Leo Fender, right? Right on. And yeah. uh, it was, it's super interesting. It's like it's two-part one. But one of the things I found that I found interesting on there is, you know, like the, the metal flying V? guitar yes it's very associated with like the 80s yeah it was actually made in the 1950s it was yeah that's exactly right and there, yeah 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 absolutely um yeah a place around the corner from me's got a kramer a metal aluminum kramer bass from that era that has uh it's an eight-string bass was it and was aluminum. it les paul who electrocuted himself and he had, had kind of his hand like crooked into <laughs> picking position don't know about that's that. what they're saying on there Is that right okay all, all right well i got one more bad news for you, you all right bad <laughs> you news too. so you finally get your cyber truck now this thing what are they first show it in 2019 right yes that was in the pre-orders the hundred dollar pre-orders uh, hundreds of thousands You're still waiting for yours, right? Still waiting for them, you know, and, and you get a very Tesla, maybe next year kind of thing going yep. on. But in the meantime, you're thinking about like, well, maybe I shouldn't get my Cybertruck. Maybe I should get uh, like a boat or a catamaran, you know? <laughs> like out here in Tennessee, Michael Vincent, you know, we could drive down the uh, Tennessee River. Yeah, we could carpool right down. The, I could start in Hicks and come down, pick you up on North Shore, and we'll come right over. Well, here's some good news. <laughs> Take a look at this video right here. This thing is... There you go. This thing is uh, CGI render, not even a thing, <laughs> but it's <laughs> some entrepreneur, right? That's not real. So Sawyer Merritt, he tweets, a Seattle-based startup called Cybercat has developed an accessory kit that can, can quickly transform the Tesla Cybertruck into an all-electric, high-performance amphibious catamaran. There is an option for a hydrofoil extension also. The price is estimated to be between $22,900 and $32,900. Their uh, founder ended up in this cheat thread, and he was answering people's questions, and one of them was, what modifications are required to enable the concept? Here's his reply. It just just so simple. And it says TLDR, which means too long to read. Here's what he says. I need to add an additional HVDC cable pair coming off a modified rapid splitter that terminates in marine-grade fixture akin to charge receptacle along with low-voltage data link. So that's all you got to do. It's, oh, dude, I, I was planning on doing that right after the show anyways to my truck, so... That's convenient. Is this is this like a thing? Like if I there used to be a show called Mask on the eighties, and there was one of the cars in that you could press a button, right? It was oh, like yeah. a race car, yeah. you could drive in, and then the wheels were turned to hydrofoils and you'd go across the water. Well, sure. That sounds cool, but this you actually have to like assemble it on the side of the dock. Yeah, I don't know how that's gonna work. <laughs> I don't see the picture of it on the dock and all the pieces sitting there. I don't I don't I know. think we should show up at F three on a pair of uh, F three Cadbury. Amen. Amen. We'll, I mean, we'll have to go fund me up after well, the show. It's very <laughs> cut through traffic. I just just go right through the river. Although it doesn't really benefit me because I just go across the river. Yeah. Yeah, it's a short trip. It is a short But hey. it, it not nearly as cool as a hydrofoil in your truck. Be remiss not to mention it. Global Supply Chain Week next week. All of our What the Trucks will be coming from there. I think they're all starting at noon. Global Supply Chain Week starts at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to live.freightwaves.com to register. Tell them how to be this weekend. Peace and love everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>